Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another fun-filled episode of The Shuttle Pod. Today is November 27th, 2018, and this is Shuttle Pod episode number 62. I'm your host, Kaylee Iacovino, and I'm joined by my good friends, Brian Drew. Hello, everybody. Jared Whitley. Good evening. And Matt Wright. Hey, guys. Today, we were inspired to talk about levity in the Star Trek franchise, humor in the Star Trek franchise. Um, And we were sort of inspired to do this um, after the recent announcement of the uh, Lower Decks animated show, which Mm -hmm. is coming soon to a CBS All Access near you. Um, And it's the first sort of canon installment that's entirely a comedy series. And it got us thinking about how Star Trek has done comedy in the past. So over the the history of the entire franchise from the original series all the way through Enterprise, um, asterisk there, we'll come back to that one, um, and how the how the series have, have portrayed comedy. Because a, a lot of people don't think of Star Trek as a comedy series. Um, you know, a lot of fans actually yep. balk at that idea. Mm, um, but mm-hmm. we, thought it, we thought it would be cool to highlight some of the ways... Um, that Trek has done it before and talk about what, how that worked, whether it worked, you know, what we liked about it. Um, kind of highlighting that Trek can actually do a lot of different genres, comedy just being one of them. Yep. So um, we're going to talk about some key episodes that we picked as just sort of our favorites that we wanted to highlight. Um, like I said, spanning the whole uh, franchise. Um, starting with the original series, there's really, uh, we were talking about this guy's um, earlier about how there's really a trio of episodes in the original mm-hmm. series that are this sort of comedy trifecta indeed yep and we chose two of those so uh the trifecta is uh the trouble with tribbles uh a piece of the action and i mud and we decided to choose two out of three of those so we're going to talk today about the trouble with tribbles uh, and a piece of the action um from the next generation we have Cupid, one of the uh, Q journeys that was uh, particularly comedic. Um, and then we have a couple from Deep Space Nine. Uh, we're going to talk about Little Green Men and the Magnificent Ferengi, both unsurprisingly, perhaps, Ferengi episodes. Yeah, and something that they really figured out in Deep Space Nine is trying to do Ferengi as like this kind of savage, barbarian, evil race that they did in the first two seasons of TNG. Mm-hmm. That did not work, right? Nope. No. Um, the, the idea that they're businessmen and not warriors, I think that kind of was a struggle to begin with. And then their appearance being so silly to begin with, it's like they just couldn't be menacing. So in Deep Space Nine, they said, okay, we're going to take this good property and we're going to make it great. And and God love them for it. <laughs> so we'll be we'll be or or I guess the uh, divine exchequer love them for it. You know I've heard <laughs> I think it was it might have been Ira Stephen Bear who I yeah. heard um, talking yeah. about how the Ferengi were sort of the proxy in Deep Space Nine for the human character because like everyone uh-huh. else in the series was either really perfect or had you know had something about them that was sort of extra and the Ferengi were just like the average everyday dude that you could relate uh-huh. to. I yep. thought that was interesting. I never yep. thought about that until I'd heard him say that. Yeah, which, which then made it a little easier to perhaps have comedic stuff with him. Mm. 
Yeah. It, it, it also, in some ways, it's kind of its own tangent, was a way to make Ferengi, in some ways, a little more heroic. Like, there's the first Mirror Mirror episode where everyone is evil except Quark. Quark is actually the only good one who Kira meets when she's <laughs> in the Mirror Universe. Yeah, because he's not really, it's it's not clear, you know, he's not really evil or good. He's sort of chaotic neutral. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he is. Oh, oh, well done. Well done, Which Kira. describes Quark really <laughs> in, in both universes, really. Right, because you can't have an opposite right. of neutral. Right. Yeah. And he's just still neutral. So, But then I think it's worth pointing out that we don't have any episodes from Voyager or Enterprise. Right. No. We really wanted to. We wanted to have something from every series, and we just rack our don't. brains. Okay, if, if there were a Voyager one, that if we had time to talk about it, it would also be a Ferengi episode. There's an episode called uh, False Prophets. Which oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's actually well. I, we can talk. I can talk about it a little more when we get into a piece of the action because I think the two thematically are kind of similar. No, oh, well, there you go. But the Enterprise, okay. I think, has we didn't have anything. Has has none. Nothing, no, unfortunately, no. No, nothing purposefully funny. Let's just right, put it that right, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> That's a nice way. Of and nothing it. that yeah. like it had its. Uh, there were moments, right? Yes. Certainly, moments that were funny. Um, some that were not supposed to be funny, but were funny, like people getting pregnant um but um but that we were really looking for episodes that were written as comedies as much as they could be yeah i i I think one of the challenges with enterprise is they were operating in a post galaxy quest universe and i think it would have been the same way that the daniel craig james bond movies after austin powers are not (laughs) funny at all I, i think it was difficult for star trek after galaxy quest to do comedy it's like Galaxy yeah. Quest took the wind out of their sails. So to speak, yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. They made fun of them enough. That seems a reasonable assumption, I think, yeah. It was just too hard at the time. Yeah. I, I also think one of the reasons why perhaps Star Trek fans are a little sensitive about comedy in the show is they don't like feeling made fun of, right? Which, mm, which sometimes mm-hmm. parodies of the franchise, some of them have been less kind than Galaxy Quest. In fact, I would say all of them have been less kind than Galaxy Quest. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think there is an element of the fan base, as we've discussed, that does not think Star Trek should be funny. And I suspect that the producers of the show are aware of that and sensitive to it yeah. over the years, which has probably discouraged them from going too far into that kind of territory. Sure. And Jared has a good point, too. I think with, um, you know, if I were producing a Star Trek show, I love the comedy in Star Trek. It's maybe my favorite part of it, to be honest. I love making fun mm-hmm. of myself and yeah. the things that I love. Um, just like, just regaling in the absurdity of it all. I love that. But I would still be cognizant of the fact, like you say, people, um, Jared points out people don't like, don't always like being made fun of. They don't like feeling like they're be having, someone else is having a laugh at their expense. And I get that. Yeah. And so if I were making a show, to be fair, I would be wary of accidentally crossing that line. Sure. So I can see why people might steer away from it. Even so, I'm really excited that um, that this the Lower Deck show is going to be a comedy. It's on, and I, yeah, you know, me too. We've talked about this before about um, the guy who's, who is um, sort of the creator of the show has sort of shown his track record and comedic pursuits related to star trek before with his tng season eight stuff and all that and with rick and morty so i'm mm-hmm. just excited to to watch it when it comes out so i also think it's Me interesting too. that uh, an interesting counterpoint to people who are sort of upset about comedic episodes uh, i would also like to point out that i believe 
in like the original series, some of the most accessible for new fans are the comedic episodes. Like the trouble with tribbles usually hooks most people who are like Mm -hmm. exploring track. Yeah. Who doesn't know that episode? I can't imagine any any top 10 list that doesn't have trouble with tribbles on it. Anyway, sorry, Brian, what were you saying? Even my wife who barely knows anything about track loves that episode. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. It's just delightful. So, So does mine. Yeah. It's a delight. And speaking of which, so yeah, Brian, shall we shall we jump into? Yeah, yeah that's a good first... that's a good segue. That is Let the perfect the segue. Okay. okay. All right. So yes, we are going to talk about probably the most famous comedic episode in the Star Trek franchise, "The Trouble with Tribbles," mm-hmm. which premiered during Trek's the original series second season, and was written by David Gerald, who is obviously well known in Star Trek fandom. Um, I am going to give us, I'm going to give you all the summation from Memory Alpha for the maybe one person who's never heard of this episode before. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <clears throat> a dispute over control of a planet brings the Enterprise to a space station where they must deal with Klingons, edgy Federation officials, and a previously unknown species of small, unbearably cute, Voraciously hungry and rapidly multiplying furry creatures. <laughs> that's actually a great. Cute. That's a great um, explanation of the episode. It also sort yep, of captures the tone yep. of the episode too. Yeah, and, and as yep. as you were reading that, I heard the. Kudos to Memory Alpha for a very succinct summary. So, what is there to say about this episode? I mean, it's just. I think it's a masterpiece. It is. It is. I, it's it, also it, it's this. It's the first time we see the Klingons again since Aaron of Mercy, and so we see kind of like the the Cold War element uh, between the Federation and and the Klingon Empire, where right. they're rivals, but they're not allowed to fight with each other. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah. In this case, it's whoever gets to like successfully adapt this planet first, basically. Sure. Right. Sure. Hmm. Right. So that's interesting and nonviolent potentially. Mm-hmm. It is good. I also love the way the, my favorite part of the episode is the way Koloth and Kirk are bending over backwards to be polite as polite to each other as they can, to the point where right. it almost feels like they're flirting with each other, like they're so nice to each other, like sickeningly. Mm-hmm. And and I love that Koloth is not this mustache twirling villain the way Kor was in Errand of Mercy. But he's still like an antagonist. He's just being an antagonist in a different, much more lighthearted way. And and of course, mm. we we I, I don't know if Squire of Gothos is would you definitely definitely call a, a comedic as well. But William Campbell does a great job with both and brings a charm and lightheartedness to to both roles. Yes, for sure. I, I like. I think Koloth is appropriate for this episode because of the the, the tone of the Trouble with Troubles. But as a Klingon, Koloth is kind of a joke. Yeah, oh, because oh, yeah. The slightest, he's, he's not very, the slightest bit menacing. No, he's very <laughs> smirky and very, like, you know, just kind of a jerk. But, like, yeah. there's nothing yeah. to him, yeah, otherwise. Yeah, you kind of find it hard to believe he would he could lead a group of Klingons. Well, especially when his, his first officer, Korax, is way more menacing and <laughs> grinds his teeth, you know, Michael talking Pataki. about them. Yeah, he was great, like, in that. Yep. You know, you know why I believe him as a leader of those people, though, is because that guy exists in real life. That's that guy in the office that everyone hates, who's just kind of a dick. <laughs> That's you know, true, he's, right? like he just tries to goad people. Yeah, he's very passive aggressive. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah but like outwardly so, like not trying to hide it at all. And just, yeah, yeah just trying to be mean he's to you definitely. to get a rise out of you. Yeah. He's definitely that guy. For so sure. He's relatable. For sure. And speaking of somebody being that guy, how about Niels Barris? Oh, oh goodness. Yeah. Who is like <laughs> every Barris. obnoxious bureaucrat yeah. you've ever uh-huh. known yep. in your life. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I didn't know, Mr. Barris, that it's, how many Klingons constitutes a swarm? Is it, yeah. yeah. What, what's the great. line where Kirk says, it's you I have contempt for, or something like that? Uh, on the contrary, sir, I think this project is very important. It is you I take lightly. That's yes. It. That's so oh. great. Zing. And, and he just like, oh my God, the look, the look on his face, you know, just like, just got to walk away, you know, can't handle it. Love was it. it. Kirk says to him at one point, people can sometimes... Uh, Disrupt space stations without being Klingon agents. Sometimes all they need is a title, Mr. Barris. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh man, he, is put, he puts the Kirk, screws Kirk, to him. Kirk really lets choice. Kirk insults him, and, and Barris even yeah. says it near the end. Kirk insults him throughout the entire. Oh yeah, episode. At any chance he gets, he puts the screws to him. He just messes with him. Like it's just like wow. But it feels great. Oh, it does. And, and it's and I and Shatner, by the way, is amazing in this episode because he's he's like befuddled almost throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, at oh, sort yeah. of the absurdity yeah. of the situation. Yes. Yeah. It's it's I, peak Shatner acting. Like, yeah, and he's exasperated way. at times. Like he's just <laughs> Captain. My ask where you're going. Sick pay with a headache. Yeah. <laughs> it was David Gerald's first writing assignment, and man, talk about starting with a bang. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Seriously. Hit it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now, I've always, you know, when I was younger, I, I didn't realize that Cyrano Jones and Harry Mudd were two different characters. Yeah. But, but Harry Mudd, yeah, I think me too when same. I was a kid. Yeah. yeah they're almost the but same thing. Like, same it, it was, Brian, you know more about this stuff than, than any of the rest of us. Was was Harry Mudd supposed to be the guy in this? Because I think they wanted no. to bring back John Colacos's core, but like his schedule didn't allow it. So that's why they invented right. Koloth. Yeah. There were a couple of instances where they wanted to bring John Colacos back. They wanted to bring him back for this and they wanted to bring him back for Day of the Dove, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Day of the season, Dove, and, he would. And he was he not available perfect. for either one. Okay. But did, anyway, did but, they want to bring, did they want to have Harry Mudd in this episode? No. No, okay. no. Because this not is. That's what I'm aware of. I don't think so. It's just sort of coincidental no. that they ended up being the same sort of big doofusy. And, and, yeah, doofusy, but like. Where Harry has an undercurrent of menace to him. Yes. Right. Cyrano Jones is, is, is not quite harmless. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. totally... He's got some incompetence. Ridiculous. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's incompetent. You can tell he's just kind of this lighthearted soul. He's not, you know... He's he basically one step removed from a Muppet, is how I've always looked at him, in terms yeah. of his harmlessness. <laughs> yeah. And he's played by character actor Stanley Adam, who, later on, mm-hmm. co- wrote an episode of the original series called The Mark of Gideon. That's Interesting. Right. Third season. That's right. Huh. Wow. Very random. Fun yeah, fact. Very random. I, I just also wanted to mention, you know, there's such a classic episode executed to perfection. The the comedy works so well. It's so accessible is to non-Star Trek fans. And then when they revisited it in Deep Space Nine, oh, you know, so we, were, we were all scared that they'd screw it up, but they didn't. Yeah, they did just they did. as good yep. a job. Yeah. They did an amazing yeah. job with it. They respected it. Uh, for example, it. I was re-watching... Yep. You know the original to Troubles Troubles just before we started this, and I you know I, now because of the Deep Space Nine context, I always think of you know that one last little white tribble that hits Kirk's head. Now we know that's Cisco like tossing it over his shoulder 
didn't catch yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's it's such a cute, it's such a great moment that they worked that in. Because there's that one last white trouble that kind of comes down a little bit later than everyone else. It's yeah. Like, oh. So so they yeah. were really smart and worked that in, like kind of retcon that in to Trials and Tribulations, the Deep Space Nine episode. As yeah. Cisco's up there with Dax, you know, scanning away, looking for the hidden bomb. Spoiler alert for people who haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> and uh, as he, you know, he gives up because he's going through thousands of them, right? And so he just toss, chucks one over his shoulder kind of late. And there it is. Like, that's the white one that hits Kirk, you know, 30 seconds later or whatever. Awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. A lot of love went into that episode. Oh, my God. There's, are you kidding? There, yeah. There's that, also. Talk about a love letter. Mm-hmm. This, this is the kind of episode that Next Generation never could have done because they needed to make themselves different. They needed to stand apart. And so yeah. Deep Space Nine could be nostalgic in a way that TNG couldn't. Sure. Mm. Yeah. So do you think that at the time when the episode aired, people felt that way? Did you guys feel that way? Like the like the first time seeing this on the air? Or feel is it only way. feel that this was really like you really loved it and they respected the material? Oh, yeah. And- oh, yeah. In- oh, instantly. Yeah. Instantly drawn yeah. to this as a kid. Instantly drawn to this episode for awesome. sure. Or the yeah, the trouble of tribbles is very accessible, especially if you're a little kid. Yeah, well, I'm oh, thinking God, you, yeah. the trials and tribulations as well. Like, does, does it, oh, did that it one? feel like? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. beautifully done. Yeah, we're yeah. older than you, Kayla, but we're not old enough to have seen trouble of tribbles when it first aired. In no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I meant trials and tribulations because I yes. the oh first gosh, time yeah. I saw it, I thought, wow, like I'm shocked. What a great job they did with this. I like you said, I was a little scared to see it that they were going to just not be able to pull that off. Uh, but I didn't yeah. see it when it first aired, so oh yeah, God. Oh, okay. it was it was so awesome to hear when it was it was so awesome when it was first aired. Yeah. Because it was a big deal. Yeah, 30th anniversary, really, yep. you know, hyped. It was a big, huge deal. They'd get they had done like previews of it, like they had shown little like you know clips of it. Like uh, I forget when, maybe I can't remember when, but I'm I'm sure they'd done some little thing to tease it somewhere. Um, and so it was a big deal. Yeah. Probably, yeah, they probably talked about entertainment tonight. pieces of the enterprise yeah. I mean, it was i'm assuming TV. there was some little tease of it on entertainment tonight because that was how you would have seen yeah. it before yeah. well, i mean TV, right. tv guide did a, an article about it i seem to recall sure but i mean i remember seeing like clips and, and them talking about how they spent a lot of time working with the blue screen and like you, integrating yeah. people you, using did. the it's quote seamless. forest gump technology unquote they did right <laughs> exactly because that was the peak right that was the peak example at the time it's true that was state Fantastic. of the art yeah yeah, they were really using cutting edge visual effects for that episode. They spent a lot of money. They on did. That. They well, spent it looks a ton great. Of money. It stands the test of time. I gotta say, those the it visual does. effects, which is and not something you can and, often say. And something to point out is like they they essentially did the first uh, you could say trial run of a TOS remastered because they had oh, to go sure. back and and scan that footage new, you know, oh, from yeah. the archives, and you know, color grade it again and get it ready and like work it, you know, put it into their digital workflow for editing. Right, of course they did. Um. So in a sense, like there's a little like Trials Revelations is probably the first time something was, you know, TOS was restored. I mean, it's only, you know, a few seconds here and there, but they spent a ton of time basically restoring various footage to integrate people and to like, it's, it's really impressive. It is. It is. And it was also a nice touch bringing Charlie Brill back to play Arn Darwin. Yeah, yep. that was great. Yeah. Good, thank goodness he was still alive. Yeah. Yep. I love when he's alive said, and quite well. Barry. Call me Barry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that Arn Darvin thing is so interesting because it becomes harder to like. Uh, it was it works perfectly fine in TOS, but 
the more modern version of Klingons, it becomes a little harder to be like, wow, so he's a Klingon like in disguise. Mm, what did they do to sure. him <laughs> to make to disguise him? You know, yeah. How, how much of his skull ridges did they need <laughs> to shave, <laughs> to shave yeah. down with a belt sander? Right. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of the Klingons, when they kind of allude to the fact that the Klingons in the original series look different than Worf. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah, in Charles' and, Revelations. And they're and they're yeah. smart. They just go, we don't talk about it. And they well, just, we right. don't no. talk about it with and outsiders. It, they are yeah. Klingons, and it is a long story. He says, it, like, they say, was it a genetic mutation, a viral infection? And then that's when he gives <laughs> the line that you just said. And then in the Enterprise episode where they do this, they mention that it was both a viral mutation and a genetic infection or, or whatever they, they so they 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 call back to the to tr- troubles of tribulations well troubles yeah. yeah the enterprise thing of course i feel was wholly unnecessary i like what they I did agree. with trials and tribulations he just said we don't talk about it doesn't need explaining it's fine you know okay so we mentioned uh, trouble with tribbles it had william campbell in it who also played trelane and of course, the spiritual successor to Trelane in the Next Generation was was Q, the mm-hmm. mischievous uh, mm-hmm. uh, agent of judging humanity. But in in this particular episode, he's less of a godlike being and more like a Mister Mixes Pidlick. And then we're of course <laughs> talking about thank you. We're of course talking about season four's Cupid. Kayla, could you tell us a little bit about Cupid? Yeah. So this is this is a, a great episode. Another like quite memorable one from Next Generation. Um, perhaps not as much as Trouble with Tribbles, but people will remember it as uh, that one where people are dressed as Robin Hood. <laughs> um, so I'll read you the memory alpha description of the episode, which is nice and succinct. <clears throat> Q picks up on romantic tensions between Captain Picard and an old flame, transporting them and the senior officers into a representation of Robin Hood. Now, of course, the old flame is a fan favorite Vosh. Vosh, yep. Although I will like to say it's hilarious that they called it an old flame. Uh, he's only known her for a year at this point, just by the mm. way. Right, it's not, it's exactly not like old. his high school sweetheart yeah. or something. Yeah, she's not no. exactly old, but whatever. <laughs> she is a it's flame, not, It's though. not we'll always have Paris. No, right, exactly. But they, mm. they so I think, like, you know, we're, we're talking about here... Um, how comedy has been done in Trek. And when I was rewatching this episode, Cupid, I was thinking about how each of these episodes we're talking about on this podcast sort of do comedy in a different way. You know, so, so Trouble with mm-hmm. Tribbles um, does it in a way where sort of everything is very lighthearted. Um, there's these relatable characters and these sort of funny situations. To me, Cupid in particular succeeds uh, because it plays on, it plays with characters that we know very well. So mm-hmm. I, I I think Cupid is a is a great episode for um for TNG. Once all these characters have been established, we're good friends with these people. We know them. We know what makes them tick. We know what makes them feel uncomfortable. So it's fun to see Picard um, juxtaposed with Vosh, who sort of um you know interrupts him in his world where he's the captain, and now here's this woman, and he's never crossed these two worlds together before. So we get yep. to see him being a little bit uncomfortable. That's probably some of the best parts of this before we get into sort of the goofy Robin yeah. territory is that yeah. stuff where, where like Vosh starts talking to all the senior staff and like nobody has a clue who she is. Right. Yeah, and she's like, he's no, never, he didn't he's mention never mentioned. Me at all? Yeah. And then well, that's a very Picard thing. It's a yeah, very Picard thing. Though. Yeah. You have to understand the captain is a very private man. But, and, and I think it's nice because it basically, this is all part of that, you know, goes sort of the post birth, 
best of both worlds, like, you know, shaking up a card, loosening up, where, like, we get to point out that, yeah, he's kind of stuffy, like, and yeah, like, he doesn't mention what happened in Rise of the to anyone ever, you know, it's, it's interesting, you sort of get that poked, you know, kind of poke him a little about that, it's like, oh. And I, I think, so this episode um, was written, the story by Randy Russell and Iris Stephen Bear and teleplay by Iris Stephen Bear. And it's really clear to me that they had this idea in their head, uh, playing this out, mm-hmm. Matt, what you're describing from the from the get-go. Because um, I'd love to read to you a quote that Picard says towards the very beginning of this episode, which is sort of establishing his, hey, remember, he's like a huge nerd and super stuffy and like we love him and he's relatable but there's some ways in which we're just like i can't relate to that but it's adorable so he's working on a keynote lecture that he's going to be giving to the archaeological oh, society I love, I, yes, mm. yes which is already like major nerd alert which makes me love him mm. even more because i'm a huge nerd <laughs> and i love the way he like names these famous archaeologists mm-hmm. the same way like, oh, that I you and i might might talk about like oh i'm gonna get my photo taken with rain wilson you know like he, right. he's he's fanboying over them this is what yeah exactly it's like celebrity gossip for him you know oh my gosh like and there's this anyway. is this is I think the most perfect Picard quote ever. Maybe I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that. So here's the quote, direct quote. And Picard says, Counselor Troy walks into his writing room. He says, "Tell me, Counselor, with regard to my lecture, what do you think would provide greater clarity: a chronological structure or the division of each excavation's findings into various religious, sociological, and environmental subgroupings?" Oh my god, I loved that. When on this rewatch, I was like, "Oh, that's so Picard. That's awesome." Right? Like, yeah, it's quintessential it. Picard. And it's like yeah, this I thing where you're it. like, "I'm not I don't get it, but I love that you're into it." Yep. <laughs> love me, love my archaeology. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I also think that him talking about the archaeology in this episode is what keys up the chase two seasons later where his mentor, mm-hmm. his archaeology mentor comes yes. back. Yeah, totally. Oh, and now for sure. this, that's yeah. become a huge piece of him, right? You know, the new Picard show is coming out soon and people are speculating. Maybe it's, you know, half half joking. Maybe it's going to be this uh, Picard becomes an archaeologist thing and goes right. off like right. exploring like Indiana Jones characters. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I could see him, though, re- going into retirement and, and doing exactly that. Oh, yeah. You know. Oh, for sure. Joining these archaeological digs and then getting caught up in adventures and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Me- mentor- mentoring a different kind of cadet. Sure, yeah. Right. Yeah, teaching archaeology of the Federation in his off time. So so apart from that nerdy line, uh, what are your favorite lines from this episode? Because I, uh, I know what warp, mine is. The wharf stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's the, that's probably the most famous line of the episode. Uh, that's one the most uh-huh. famous thing. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I must protest. I am not I'm a merry man. man. That's the one. Yep. That's the one. And he smashes that, poor Jordy's loot. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the other thing. Yeah, when he, when he smashes the banjo and then hands it back and goes, sorry. sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think that was a reference to Animal House. Thank you. I was about seen. to say that. Yeah. I was about to say, yeah, do you guys think true. it was? I forgot about that. I, yeah. I, I, oh, absolutely. Sure, I'm sure it was. Because yeah. it's straight. Yeah. I think he even he smashes the guitar. John Belushi smashes the guy's guitar and hands it back to him and goes, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I totally forgot about that, but yes, it definitely is. It's got to oh. be. Yeah, and Ira Bear was probably like probably saw that in the theater when he was a young man. Yeah, he strikes mm, me as the kind of guy that would be heavily him. into somebody like Belushi, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure. Okay, I also by the way, to work it in somehow. By the way, of the of the five episodes that we're covering, 
Iris Stephen Bear has his hands in three out of the five. He does, well, yes. And and he also ha- he also um, contributed to more troubles, more trouble, more uh, more troubles, more troubles, right. or whatever the Deep Six Nine was. Right. So Tri- of the Tri- four, thank you. Uh, I'm, I said the animated series episode uh, of the yeah. four um, Berman era ones. Iris Stephen Bear contributed to all of them. Yeah, he's touched discussing. them all. Yeah. What does that tell you? Yeah, right? and it's funny because when you know you see Ira and you think about him, you know he's like this old school badass New Yorker. Wears all black, he you know, is. dyes his hair different colors. You would think he would be like this deadly serious badass. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. I mean? yeah. Meanwhile, he's writing these fun little comedic episodes. Uh-huh. He's a smartass. He is. Iris oh, is he definitely is. Yeah, for sure. Yep. For sure. But he's our smartass. <laughs> yeah. He and, and he also he loves stuff though. He seems like the kind of guy where he wouldn't do this just as a job. Like his his heart, heart and soul was in Star Trek when he was. Oh yes. yeah, I mean, Ira, Ira walked away from all of Star Trek and was begged to come back for deep space nine i mean when he wasn't working out for him on tng he walked you know yep he only does it because he wants to you know because mm. he loves it yeah yep absolutely yeah anyway we i digress sorry about that the the other thing though you mentioned the reference to animal house it has to be said that cupid of course came out because of the success of the popularity of the robin hood character following kevin costner and morgan freeman's yes. uh yes. robin Hood, prince of thieves in that sense, it's almost blatant, you know. It's like, oh, this was really popular, like yeah. uh, earlier this year or whatever. Let's cash in on it. You know? Well, and they did. There's a there's another there's a funny episode of Deep Space Nine called Doctor Bashir, or I presume no, no crap. It's called no, uh, Our Man Bashir. That's it. Thank you. Yep. Uh, where Bashir. it's it's playing out the success of Goldeneye when when yes, that for sure. Oh, out. for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's an allusion to like the '60s. Sure. Yes. Movie that with um, James Coburn, Our Man Flint. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. All part of the 60s spy mania, basically. Sure. Right, right. I could be reaching a bit, but did anyone else during there's a um, sword fight scene in Cupid and, and uh, Picard is sword fighting with the with the, the antagonist guy. Um, did anyone else get guy like- Guy of a, Gisborne. Yes, Guy of Gisborne. Did anyone else get like a like a princess bride kind of vibe or is that just me? Yes. Oh, oh sure. yeah, I can oh, see totally. that. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And I love his little line where they're like fencing. He's like, oh, I'm the best fencing champion in all of Nottingham. And the, yeah, the card basically yeah, yeah. schools him. Well, I'm not from Nottingham or whatever. You Great know. line. Like, right. <laughs> well, and, and then that also carries the through line of Picard uh, fencing as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which we've seen Which since the first season. I, so I, I always wanted that. I always wanted like the crew to reveal that Picard had like a weekly fencing match in the holodeck with Barkley. And it was like the one thing that he did that was like fun with a member of his crew. And they were all super jealous of Barkley that he got to share this thing with the, mm-hmm. with the captain. And that's why and they like, were mean to Barkley. Yeah. Or jealous of it. Or it could have been Ms. later on. That could have been like Mr. season Broccoli. four. Yeah. I would and like, yeah. and like when they're fencing, like they call each other by their first name and they're like, we don't get a call. We have to call him captain. I, I always thought that would have been cool. Cause I like that's, it. That's super we also cute. see that. Uh, thank you. I think it's it is a nice too. character moment. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and you smart. know, they, they both like defense. So why wouldn't they do it together? Right. Nice. Um, okay. The other thing I wanted to say about Cupid is I went to a convention like in 1996 with John Delancey. And he told a story about uh, a line he'd ad-libbed that they made him redo because they said, you're not allowed to ad-lib. And there's a line where Guy of Gisborne says to Sheriff of Nottingham, he says, tomorrow we'll have either a wedding or a funeral. And, mm-hmm. and John Delancey, according to his story, looked at the camera and said, but I thought every wedding was a funeral. Oh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, you can see why they told him not to actually. Do of that, course, like, of course, that would have been but, that would have been too much. Also, word uh, word from the set back then was they were not into flexibility. They were no, right they, couldn't they couldn't be already. They couldn't. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, well, TNG was really locked down. Most most of yeah. Trek's production. I know by the, been, definitely. But, I know by the time D of Space Nine came around, it was like don't even try it. Yeah. 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 Well, because they didn't want someone to say Vega two when they should have said right. Vega four. Because I get then it. They, get in trouble yeah but i mean yeah, one berman ran a tight ship but but they may have taken that a little too far too you know what i mean it's like yeah read read it as said like sorry there's no ad living too bad like we'll see i don't know but yeah definitely locked down on the set yeah but this is easily the most lighthearted episode of tng yeah i think so yeah. right by far yeah even the the other one that would be in contention is the uh, the higher the fewer one with uh, locks on. Oh, that one's sure, so yeah. weird but, though. But that's got but that's got some really serious stuff. It does. It's yeah. it does. it's all it over does. the map that episode. Yeah, I mean it's and, got and like, parenting Holiday. issues and stuff. Yeah, and Captain's Holiday, of course. Captain's Holiday is also pretty it's, lighthearted. It is, but then it kind of takes a weird turn with the whole uh oxytat or whatever it is the whatever the thing that can yeah, explode yeah, yeah. Nova the, the, and... yeah yeah but yeah so I, it, ma- it makes sense that, that they'd use vosh as uh as the yeah. vehicle for a sequel to it exactly it's very yes. fitting yeah they they're a pair and 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 then of course uh she and q would come back for uh for uh, the first season of deep space nine i believe the episode was called yep. Qless. Yep. and it it wasn't great, but you know it makes sense that they'd want to but, uh, to yeah. Return and it to was that. nice to see what happened to Vosh, you know, like she right, she went off with Q at the end of Q. Right, she as she really did, and she really did go exploring with him for like a year. Yep, <laughs> and luckily she came back. She didn't. He didn't leave her like yeah. in that weird edge of the universe place with the bubbles from where no one has gone before. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> and you totally buy into her being willing to go with him oh, because of what we know oh, about oh, Vosh. Absolutely. Yeah, because she's so and roguish. Also, she is. And also, the chemistry she has with John Delancey. They do. They have good chemistry, even though they don't share a lot excellent. of scenes. But they, they do. Have they good. do. But you totally buy into that. Like, they have a kind of a connection that she would be like. Yeah. Hey, oh, yeah. They're, they're both I, like. I could, I could go with this guy. Oh, yeah. yeah I, they, I, they're I, both shit disturbers and don't believe in rules. You know, like, mm-hmm, it makes perfect right. sense. <laughs> we're, we're, going, yep. we're going to have fun together. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, a lot of fun this episode. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to rewatch this before the our podcast, but I I need to. This is so good. I also I love the scene. I love that Q is like playing with his powers. Like we we hear his horse clip clopping before he teleports in, and then again I think we hear him clapping at the end before he teleports yep, in. Yeah, and yeah, so well I, I I like yes. that that he's uh he's kind of gloating. Oh yeah. Know. Yeah, I, I well, it, that as well, actually. In that vein, it always amuses me, like, at the end where, you know, he's hanging out in his little safari outfit. And then, of course, like, they both look at him to, like, go get lost so we can kiss each other one last time. Uh-huh. But the reality is, like... He's not gone. He's not, if Q is Q. He's like, yeah, he's not okay. really gone. Like, I know to, it makes you feel better, but all weird, he did was though. turn himself hey, invisible. To, to, to know, quote Q2, don't forget who you're talking to. All seeing, all knowing. Exactly. Like it's not really good. I mean, yes, it's it's good not to have him leering directly, but like really, Q, Q's watching him smooch anyway. So whatever. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> uh, oh, can I just say though the other thing that, that 
struck me doing this rewatch is how goofy i mean this is a thing that all the star trek uh shows tend to fall into and it's not really it's kind of neither here nor there but just amusing is this idea that they're supposed to be sort of space retro versions of these uh costumes like the costumes are not historically accurate whatsoever let's just say oh when sure they do the Cupid, you know like vosh has basically the same sparkly like stuff that they usually use for their sheets basically made into mm-hmm. a dress you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's like that would okay whatever it's 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 fun but it's just like well that's a very like tng era idea of a costume uh-huh. of this era for this you know it fits, era, though because like. it's like it's q's idea of what the sure. yeah it, be. yeah sure and which it's kind of like funny that off. way too yeah which is a little off yeah so it's kind of funny yeah terrific episode any final thoughts before we go to the next one? I think we should move on. Okay, so I uh, um, would like to talk a little bit about Little Green Men, mm-hmm. which is a, a delightful <laughs> uh, Deep Space Nine episode. Just to give the memory alpha summary, a malfunction on Quark's new ship causes Quark, Rom, and Nog to crash in the year 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Couldn't resist okay. you in the Roswell thing. No, nope. love it. Nope. Okay, and what one of the things that they're playing with, I think, is um, is parodying the X Files because that was a contemporary oh, sure. at the time, and it it was huge by then in '95. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, yeah, and and so something I really like is with this one, they they parody some Star Trek ideas with like Rom spitting out this techno babble that even Rom doesn't seem to understand and Quark saying, I have no idea what you're talking about, but why don't you do it? Oh, right? sure. Making the chemocyte do its thing. Ex- exactly. Yeah. 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 I explode the chemocyte and accelerate to yeah. warp eight. Blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. but then they're also playing with a lot of other science fiction tropes. Um, not just stuff from the X files, but no. also little, also little green men, essentially. And the like, term yeah. little green men, Roswell, uh, the idea of the, of the military's BS, uh, excuses yep. they weather use balloons. like it was yep. just a weather balloon it was just right. a weather balloon it's yeah. like there's a scene in the first iron man movie where iron man crashes into an f22 and 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 the the pat response they always give to the media is uh is uh this was just an un, an unrelated training exercise right and then mm-hmm. he, yep. he crashes into the plane and it cuts to roadie saying this was just a training exercise so the same kind of idea they're doing here the the other trope i love that they're playing with is the idealistic scientist versus the evil general mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with and, the big and cigar? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, and there's even there there's even an episode of South Park where Cartman dresses up as a robot named Osimo Five Thousand. Oh yeah. And gets, mm-hmm. and gets taken to the Pentagon. And there's yep. this this evil general who who wants to figure out how to use Osimo like for you know military purposes or whatever. And there's this scientist trying to trying to save him and, and the general keeps making fun of him by saying mr scientist like with all the contempt in the world and they're doing the same kind of thing here i also love that the nurse is a kind of a gentle parody of edith keeler i feel like of the the idealistic hopeful lady looking to the future to the point where they even give her the most poly pure heartish name i think we've had in star trek where her name is faith garland right oh that's right mm-hmm. Yeah. So just just all kinds of stuff working working in here. Uh, uh, I uh, they show like I'll, they also show off what a deep bench they've got on this show. It should be called Deep Bench Nine because here we have <laughs> one Quark and then two supporting characters and they fill the whole hour, right? 
Yeah. We basically yeah. don't see anyone from the other, from the main cast. We Cisco and Dax have tiny roles. Odo, Odo appears yeah. halfway, uh, two yeah. two thirds of the way through, I think, which they needed to because they needed somebody responsible yeah. to save them. I mean, I mean, Odo is essentially their MacGuffin, like to get them out of there. Otherwise, he doesn't matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you're right. It's very much. There, there's yeah. even a bit D- after after Odo. DS9. Oh, I'm sorry. After Odo beats up the military guy, Quark says, uh, the Faith Garland says, who's he? And Quark says, he's my hero, which is his way of kind of <laughs> making fun of him. Like, Odo, even when I'm doing something criminal, you're going to save my bacon. So yeah. Yeah. I just love it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm yeah. sorry, Brian. I've talked too much. Brian, what are you, you going to say? No, I was just going to say DS9 has the deepest bench, the, the most talented cast pound for pound of all the star trek shows sure. well yeah and they yeah. have they definitely have the most fleshed out ensemble i yeah. would say of the whole yeah and i, yeah. I would yeah. say yeah they're more they're the only show that's a all, all the star trek shows i feel that's the only one that's the true truly ensemble, ensemble. Yeah. yeah i think so yeah too. yeah um and and quark, quark is uh my of my top three star trek characters one is spock of course but then two and three are garrick and quark because mm-hmm. i i just love seeing those guys in action Unfortunately, they couldn't shoehorn Garrick into this. That would have been a little too sinister. But there's also something they do in here where they foreshadow first contact, because this came out a year before then, where he says, we'll give Ferengi warp technology before anyone in the Quadrant had it, even the Vulcans. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I thought that was cool. That is cool. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah. They do a nice job poking fun at... At our, at us basically, even though it takes place in 1947, you know, smoking. Oh my god! Every person place. smokes. Like like it. Yeah. It, I'm sure they did that purposefully, but it's like a ridiculous amount of people smoke. It is. And, like, it is. Like every person on screen's got a butt hanging out of their mouth. Basically, the first, well, it's in that opening shot. In that mm-hmm. opening shot, they're all smoking. They're all smoking. And there's yeah. a there's a moment yeah. when the scientist lights two cigarettes in his mouth and hands one to his yeah, fiance. Gives one to his fiance to his yeah. girlfriend. Right. Yeah. What a gentleman. That's what gentlemen did. Come on. Yeah, that's what she did, though. I mean, that—that's—that's that's not. They didn't make that up for the the, the episode. That—that that was. That, I've seen that before. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, that's a thing for sure. From yeah. Yeah. So they make a little commentary about that. They make you know some of it's a little on the nose, probably. Yeah. But and then they you know the the nuclear weapon thing. Yeah. So it's cute. It, it's cute to watch. Well, it, watch Ferengi react it, to all that. It, it is it is a little bit over the top, and it, and they they you know honestly so much of Mad Men was that as well as like looking back in the past and feeling better than people who didn't know the things that you knew know right like mm. in 1947 they didn't know smoking caused lung cancer they didn't know it right, right. um so uh, any, uh Kayla what other thoughts do you have on Little Green Men um gosh I just it sticks out to me as such a memorable episode i think the idea i think the the choice of combining this um yeah 1940s era idea of what aliens are like combining that with ferengi sort of juxtaposes them in an interesting way because there's these two opposing views and yet they like merge so well like the ferengi Mm -hmm. in a way if you didn't know them already from deep space nine you know, if you were someone living in 1947 and you saw a Ferengi, you would be like, oh, wow, yeah, that's like what our idea of aliens might be. Sure. You know, like somehow mm-hmm. it fits. Oh, oh yeah. They, They'd be they also Martian for sure. They also do a thing on this. And my dad pointed this out to me when we watched it um, you know, many years ago, that when we the humans hear the Ferengi talk, they play their voices backwards like the way they used mm-hmm. to on Flash Gordon. Oh, oh wow. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. 
Because, you know, Flash Gordon, they weren't going to come up with their own language, but they needed it to sound alien. So, oh, just play it backwards. Cool. Right. Oh, I like that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I, on, on that note, I love when they start tinkering with, well, actually, at very first, they start whacking their heads to, like, try and get the yes. their, yeah. little, their little embedded, <laughs> you know, universal translator working. And, and everyone just mimics them, and then, and then they realize they're just being mimicked, and they're just like, these morons are just mimicking us. Like, what the heck? These 20th century, you know, Earthers are stupider than we thought. You know, it's just, it's really funny. And, and there's a, there's an interesting piece of canon um, that I believe the first and probably only time has been established that the um, universal translators are some kind of device embedded in the person's head. Yes. Yes. Sure. That's the mm-hmm. only time we've ever heard reference that it's actually yeah, a like thing. A, a and that super it's Bluetooth. accessible mm-hmm. through the ear with a hairpin, apparently. Mm. Well, at least in Ferengis, because their ears are big enough. I doubt in humans, it's in our ear somehow. You know what I mean? That would yeah. be like gnarly. It's, but yeah, it's implied it's like subdermal somehow or something. Like, um, which of course is kind of interesting. At least for Ferengis, they have it that way because ostensibly, maybe that's what the Starfleet badges do, among many other things. Yeah, that's uh-huh. what I've always assumed. But with the Ferengis, maybe they embed them because they have huge ears and it doesn't bother them. I don't know, you know. Yeah, the, the universal transit or something that they need to cheat on, or else oh, that yeah. would be the subject oh, yeah. of every episode. And, and we're right? all yes. fine with it. Yes. Every episode, yeah, exactly. Yes. We'll just otherwise. exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. we'll just overlook it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, you, absolutely. You just ha- you have to. Uh, yep. Another fun little piece it. of continuity that I liked is back when um, before they get thrown into the past, Nog gets that guide to Earth because Nog's, of course, you know, the little setup for this episode is that Nog is on his way to go to the academy. And they go take him, you know, it's like a family trip basically to Earth. And he's flipping through, you know, like the oh, Earth yeah, history. Yeah, yeah. And he's and he sees the picture of Gabriel Bell. From the which Bell is of riots. course a really great yeah. Oh yeah, that is, really is an awesome moment. Yeah. And it's and of course it's Cisco because Cisco ended up having to take Bell's place, as we know, from a few seasons ago when that really great two parter about the whole uh like <laughs> it's only a few years from now, actually, um, at this point, like in the twenty first century and the riots and stuff and um, but that's a nice little bit of continuity. He goes, doesn't this look like Commander Cisco? Yeah. And of course, and, like they just go, "You're crazy," and all humans yeah. look alike. Anyway, all so all yeah. humans look alike. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I put that in my notes to to quote that. I love that line. That's great. That is cool that they hang a lantern on that. Yes, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. Uh, well, and, any closing thoughts? Yeah, there's one little other little bit of trivia if anybody's mm. interested. Um, the guy playing the general is played by a great character actor named Charles Napier. Mm-hmm. He's in everything. And Charles Napier was in the original series in the Notorious Way to Eden yep. episode. Oh, yep. interesting. He's Adam. He's the one who sings, uh, heading out to Eden. No way. Oh, yeah. And it's funny, too, because because now, later in life, he's typecast as, like, hard-ass generals and stuff. Right. Because he plays in the 90s. That's all he does. Yeah. Yeah, he's playing a space hippie. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. That is right. Hmm. Yeah. Totally. Nice. Totally. So, nice little tidbit there. Huh. Thanks, Thanks for pointing that out. Okay. Okay. Well, so, from this one to the Magnificent Ferengi. Matt, I believe you have a mm-hmm. point on this. Yes, so we'll we'll jump a couple of seasons ahead to the sixth season where there's another fun uh, episode and another fun episode with the Ferengi called The Magnificent Ferengi. Um, so this is a, an episode about how Quark's mother, Ishka, their Moogie, is captured by the Dominion 
and Quark, Rom, and Nog end up leading a motley crew of Ferengi to try and figure out how to re, you know, take Gitter back. And they end up meeting on Empok Nor, which we visited before. That's Deep Space Nine's kind of busted twin in, in a nearby sector, um, with a, a Vorda named Kivon in tow as trade for their Mugi. And of course, things don't go quite as planned as we, I'm sure, everyone could guess. <laughs> because what happens to poor Kivon, Matt? Yeah, this is... The, so, when we were talking about this to prep for this, I said, I call, I said, oh, this is the episode where they basically do a Ferengi weekend at Bernie's. Because, yeah. unfortunately, poor Kivon, in, for, you know, the Ferengis get all nervous and kind of spaz, and they shoot, they shoot their, um, you know, the thing that they're, the person they're using as trade, um, they kill him by mistake. So... Nog, being the kind of engineering genius that he is, decides that, hey, he can cook up a bunch of, like, servo actuators from the uh, medical bay there. And, yeah, maybe they can just kind of remote control the corpse. <laughs> it's a little Spock's brain in a way, too. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like, it sounds <laughs> super messed up, but it plays really funny. Okay. It is really and, funny. It really does. And, and the <laughs> episode where we meet Kivon, he is totally evil. He's pure evil. He's like the worst Vorta we ever meet. Right, right? so you don't feel bad. Yeah. Not at all. Well, and, and, and he and like sells point... out his Jem'Hadar, who are like the most honorable Jem'Hadar we meet, uh, because he yeah. knows that if he's captured, the Federation will take care of him. They'll put him in a comfortable exactly. holding cell. And right? so... so he's taking advantage of both the, his adversaries and his subordinates. This guy right. is pure evil. And he's just, yeah, he's just an all-around jerk because, of course, they pick him up from the Federation prison. And he's just like, I'm in no hurry to get exchanged because, like, why would I? Why would I? Because they're just going to, like, basically debrief me. And by debrief me, I I mean, they'll just kill me. Yeah, that's right. He's he's, supposed to commit suicide, I think. Yeah, yeah, he was supposed to commit suicide. Didn't. They deactivated whatever there was in him, you know, by the time when they took him into captivity. So he can't. And so he's just in no hurry to get back, doesn't care what happens. Like, So it's kind of interesting because we don't really feel bad. We feel bad for the Ferengi because they can't use him for barter anymore. But Kivon himself, like, oh, no, he's dead. Like, he was an ass. You know, nobody really cares in that sense. We're not, spo- we're not supposed to care in that sense. He's supposed to be sort of funny. Um, and, and again, just sort of like we talked about um, before we get too far off topic, um, Iris Stephen Bear was one of the authors, along with Hans Beimler, who's another prolific Deep Space Nine writer. And yeah, I mean, Ira Bear is all over these episodes. This episode is also known for having Iggy Pop. Yes, that's Iggy right. Pop. Guest yeah. Star. Yep. Iggy Pop is the Vorta that shows up to do the exchange. Yeah, and he's kind of, he plays it beautifully. He does. Like he's like... He's kind of annoyed that he's he has annoyed. to deal with yeah, it. Yeah, he can't even believe yeah. he has to deal with these dumb little Ferengi. Like, how could he? Yeah. You know, yeah. Why is he wasting his time with this? And like, yeah, he's very droll yeah. throughout the thing. It, yeah, he's like perfect. I, I I don't know what the inspiration was to have him on, but whoever came up with the idea, it, it works is an really well. Inspired, yeah, choice. Yeah. yeah, and and he, uh, you know, he's such an unusual looking guy that it was good to have him as this kind of alien because I think it fits pretty well. Hmm. Yeah, it yep. does, for sure. Yep. Yeah. He's got a long face. Yep. Yeah. And those, those eyes face. that kind of pop out of his skull. <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, I guess that's where his name came from. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Anyway, the, the other thing to mention, of course, is the title is a reference to The Magnificent Seven, which yes. is a fantastic mm-hmm. Western about uh, this... It's I. 
this border town that's going to get wiped out, and so they put together a team of like seven outlaws to defend it. Um, and so th- this I, is I the think same it's telling that that Quark can't get seven. By the way, I always thought no, that, that was I, that, that I, amused me. I think they <laughs> stop at five. Yeah, I think it's five. I just I was like counting, and I was like, wait, they 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 don't actually ever get to seven because you know, of course, no. obviously, like the title is the plan. And I'm thinking, yeah, he never gets to seven. How typical! Like that, nope, he can't get to seven he to even make even the get homage. That, right? He can't uh-huh. even get the homage of, you know, to seven. It's like, oh. <laughs> uh. And I have to say, I really like, uh, there's a couple of really good scenes with the people they're trying to recruit. Like, probably the best, kind of most interesting character in that sense is is Lek, the, yeah. the Ferengi assassin. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I love that, you know, Quark is telling Rom, I don't know, this guy's really weird. Like, he's not mm-hmm. a normal Ferengi. Like, trust me, like, when we call him, don't be shocked because his priorities are totally different. And of course, like, yeah, Lek, Lek is weird because he doesn't really care about the profit. He wants to assassinate people. Like he cares about the kill, right? Yeah. He's a and sociopath. So, yeah. He's a sociopath. And so of course it's so weird. You know, they're like, Oh my God, that's shocking. He doesn't care about the profit. Like, so it's anyway, it's just a hoot. And of course, you know, Lek is just like, Oh my God, this is the group. And then by the end, he's like, well, this was a total mess. But if you ever do this again, call me. You know, <laughs> That's he, right. he loved it. That's right. Yeah. What a great line. Well, and he, yeah. and he saves them because when, when uh, stuff goes down, he's the one who, like, I think I remember, like, he throws his, he's the one who kills the Jemadar because he's the yes. one who's actually, like, capable of, of Yeah, Lek combat. is the most pulled together of the group, sadly. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. and, you know, this is actually uh, a kind of a sequel to Little Green Men because, uh, cousin Gala is the one who gives uh, Quark his ship in that episode. Yes, yes, that's true. Damn Gala. <laughs> yeah, and then I think there's uh, one in between here where Gala, in between these two, where Gala like ropes Kirk or Quark into his uh, into his weapons um, his weapons distribution network, and so I guess this is like the the three big cousin Gala episodes. Yeah, that's right. And then of course the return of another kind of favorite. Ferengi actor Brunt, Jeffrey Coombs. Yeah. I love, oh yeah. I was, I was Brunt FCA. Of course, now he's discredited, and not in the FCA anymore, and he has nowhere to go. So he might as well win favor with the Negus by trying to rescue the Negus's sweetie. So yeah, he shows that's up. right. Yeah. Brunt. I, yeah, okay, so Brunt. I guess once you would you add in Ishka, then there are seven altogether. Sure, but Ishka's not. But isn't it? But seven? she's not part of. The, she's not part of. She's the not team. part of the rescue. Yeah. No, so. she's not. Yeah, he can't quite get seven. I think he gets six. So there you I, go. I like like when Ishka is listing off like how in in inhuman the uh, the mm-hmm. Jemhadar and the Vortas are that they don't have like she says they don't have Moogies, right because they're you know clones so they don't yep. have mothers and like they also don't have uh, um, retirement plans or something like that. Like she lists yes. off some some financial <laughs> <Yes>. vehicle. <laughs> she does. I love that. And then she's talking to. Uh, the Iggy Pop character and talking about like doing a, like a skincare regimen and stuff. It's really funny. And she's like, yeah, you, it just, you know, all these things that she could sell him basically or like, and you know, get him interested in it. It's just a hoot. And he's actually kind of half seriously thinking about it too. <laughs> yeah. Like she's she like, feel my head, feel it. Doesn't yeah, it feel soft? Feel my head. Doesn't it feel soft? Like, <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's right. He goes, fascinating. I'd love to hear more, but if your son doesn't show up soon, I'm going to have to kill you. <laughs> D- delivered, again, delivered perfectly by Iggy Pop in this, like, just, I don't give a shit, but I kind of do yep. way. It's really uniquely delivered, but ne- perfect for this. Yep. 
Yeah, this is a good episode. This is also one where every episode in the Dominion War couldn't be um, uh, the Battle of AR-15 or, no, okay, what's the name of that episode? AR-15 is a rifle, not a planet. Um, uh, could, each episode couldn't be serious, right? They right. needed they needed to have some some self-contained episodes that weren't always like a big serious story arc. And so this one serves that purpose pretty well. Agreed. I agree. Agreed. All righty. Anything else? Oh, I, we have we have the main event. We still have yeah. our main episode we need we, to talk about. Right. We so need to swing we'll back s- around. That's right. We're going to time travel back to the original series. Yep. You might to say we'll get ourselves a favorite episode. Yep. Yep. You might yourself might break break a piece off of something. You might say break a <laughs> little nice. piece of the action. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of awkward, but maybe we'll <laughs> stand in. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's let's break a piece off of this action and talk about a, a piece oh, of geez. the action. There you go. <laughs> Story by David Harmon. Teleplay by. David Harmon and Gene, Gene Coon. Gene Coon. Yeah. Yep. Gene Coon, who was very good at writing humor. Among among many of his other talents. Well, this is probably the most sort of Gene Coon humor-centric season two. Yes. Episode, we, you know, we could ever. do an entire episode about Gene Coon, because he arguably, in terms of the stuff of the Star Trek that was fate, was popular and that people still talk about, he arguably had more of an influence than Gene Roddenberry. I mean, if you, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I'd go that far. Potential, I know, but certainly but, in season two, but you you, but huge you look at the episodes he a wrote, big influence, yeah, and and mm-hmm. it's huge. Yeah. Oh no, I agree. He's he, and had he lived longer, he would have definitely been hailed as one of the great yep. geniuses. I mean, he yeah. is now. He still is now, but like, yeah, him dying early kind of yeah. deprived him of yeah. The actual, the kudos he it's deserved. like uh, yeah. Stanley and Jack Kirby. I mean, Jack Kirby died thirty years ago, so he didn't get the he didn't get to be in any movies. True. Yeah. Mm. Right. Anyway, piece of the action. Piece of the action. So I can start by start us off by reading the again the memory alpha description of the episode. Sure. <clears throat> Returning to a planet last visited by an Earth ship one hundred years earlier. The Enterprise finds a planet that has based its culture on the Chicago gangsters of the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Yep. That pretty much sums pretty it up. Get your heaters. What was it? The... Get your heaters out, everybody. Yeah, yeah your heater, your fancy heaters. Yeah, your fancy heaters. Yeah. <laughs> this thing is just a hoot. I mean, it's ridiculous, yeah. but, but yeah, I mean, so I mean, much yeah, fun. The episode is ostensibly about the dangers of cultural contamination but it doesn't even really matter does no. it that's no. just a, a a vehicle to deliver this goofy plot yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah, and, totally. and to maybe not bury the lead but when i was watching this at the end i was thinking they didn't undo the contamination whatsoever really no I mean, no, in no. Fact, and, 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 and really how can you undo it anyway but yeah in fact they may have made it worse they made but, it yeah, worse we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there i think we should definitely talk about that when we get to the end okay but yeah it's just like oh man okay so so like again i think i think i i think we all sort of agree that this is the the standout this this episode does comedy the best of all the ones we picked in my opinion yes i think we can all agree on that yeah i think i think it's the one that's Mm -hmm. almost like 90 percent comedy you know what i mean like the whole that's true too very broad yeah a lot of the other ones they have some um real stakes where there's people in danger you know in cupid they're talking about blood being spilled and people dying and you know so there's all these different and this one is more of a lark 
Yes, yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. Is. Uh, there's, there's at no point is the crew in danger. Right? No, because it, like, you know, despite all these machine guns being pointed, we know that when one hand phaser could just like stun the entire room and they'd be out of the problem. Right. You know what sure. I mean? Or, or situation they could just would be get handled. beamed back, right? Right. They right. get beamed out. Like it's no problem at, at all. And yeah. in fact, they show off that technological prowess at one point. Later they do in the, episode, in the end. Where yeah. Kirk, Kirk orders a wide, wide stun beam. On the planet, yeah. and they just stun everyone to... as they're looking outside the window, and they stun all these gangsters fighting in the streets. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Exactly. To prove to prove they're serious, he's got to yeah. do it. Yeah, and and this is this is what thematically I think uh, I mentioned the Voyager episode, False Prophets. Like in that mm-hmm. episode, the Voyager crew is not in danger, right? They just have there's this the Prime Directive has been violated, and they need to try to fix it. And it's like it doesn't matter how how powerful they are because the question is like how smart can they be. Uh, based on maneuvering within their own ethical constraints, right? right. And and maneuvering right. within the constraints of the culture that they're in, sure. so trying to that fit they're, into they're that. They're trying to minimize harm to, and and it's kind of like piece of the action and false prophets. It kind of reminds me of like a Silver Age Superman story, where it's like Superman became so powerful there was no way to challenge him except by his ethical limitations, hmm. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. good point. Right, right, right. yeah. So I think I feel like a lot of the comedy. Um, and this one comes with obviously watching the characters trying to fit into this world, particularly sure, the, Kirk. Yeah, uh, the fish out of water. Yeah, and he and although you know you could argue how much of a fish out of water he is because he sort of he seems to slide into the vernacular of the place pretty quickly, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone else is kind of like, what? What are you saying? <laughs> he, yeah, he's he's calling up to Scotty. On the Enterprise, trying to have this conversation with him, and Scotty's <laughs> yeah, like, "Yeah, love that. What? I don't understand a word you're saying." I love that. I'm trying to remember some of the yeah. things in particular that he says. Get the guy on the other end of the blower and give him blower. a ride to this locale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, "What?" It's like you get all that. <laughs> Mister no. Hadley, call up the language <laughs> language banks and find out what a heater what a yeah. heater is. Yeah. yeah. I. My my favorite part, and, and when we were talking about this, Brian, you sent one of the quotes from this on our thread on Slack. But I love the bit with Kirk trying to drive a car oh, and yeah. struggling yeah. to use uh, the because it's got because it's a it's a manual transmission. And Spock says, "I believe there's a thing called a clutch." And like yep, there yeah. are people, most people on Earth nowadays, at least in the United States, probably can't drive a stick shift car. Oh right? yeah. yeah, So it's exactly. like, yeah. how could Kirk prop pop? possibly know what to do with that well and, and i think it's funny because this little sort of i think this little nugget right that he's sort of familiar with like cars is what they picked up on in star trek 2009 that suddenly oh. he digs cars and he's mm. running around in this old car i, th- I think they that's might right. have sort of picked up on interesting that little, okay yeah yeah anyway that's an interesting aside that occurred to me this time when i was rewatching it i was like hmm hmm yeah, but that is one of the highlights of the oh, episode. Oh, it's so trying great. to drive the car. It's so great. Captain, you're an excellent starship commander, but as a taxi driver, you leave much to be desired. <laughs> much to be desired. And he yeah. just looks at him. It was that bad? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's that's also um, Spock using his mommy voice where he's trying not to hurt his feelings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. For sure. Like, yeah. like uh, uh, the highest praise that in in the Sarek episode, the highest praise that a Vulcan can give is to call something satisfactory, right? That's that's how blunt they usually are. And in this, Spock is being as nice as he can. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then when they have to get back in the car later, Spock really doesn't yeah. want to get in. He's like, are you afraid yeah. of cars? He's like, well, walking is safer. 
<laughs> yeah. No, it's it's your driving. You know, it's like yeah, it's whoops. your driving that alarms yeah. me. Yeah. Oh man. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, Shat- Shatner and Nimoy playing off of each other is fantastic in this episode. Like it's Shatner's perfect. parading yeah. around. You know, trying to speak in this weird language and saying all these things, and Spock's just supposed to chime in and agree with him every once in a while, and he like can't even get that quite right. You know, he's like, he's like, you know, check something so and so, right? Looks at Mister Spock and he's like, check, check. check. And later he says check, and Spock goes right. And it's just right, like, yeah. <laughs> Although Spock gets into it near the end when he goes, I would advise you to keep. Dialing. Oh yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah. He finally yeah. gets it. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, he's trying too. <laughs> and Spock. Knows how to wear a zoot suit. Oh, doesn't he? And let me. They, they it, both are they, styling. They both it's a pretty, that's yeah. a pretty sharp cut on that suit, and he's totally rocking. Yeah, the, the, those those uh, uh, the piece of the action outfits those make popular cosplay uh, in Las Vegas every year. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah you always see a couple sure. of people playing it. Absolutely. Um, the two main guest stars. Anthony Caruso, who plays Bella Oxmix, yeah. and Vic, Vic Tabak, Jojo Vic Tabak, oh. yep. they're yeah, so Vic Tabak obviously from, is known from as Alice. best known as Mel, yeah. Mel from Alice. From Alice, yes. Um, but he was a. Both those guys were longtime character actors. Oh yeah, and they, they show are everywhere. awesome. Yeah, they're, they're so great. Awesome they're having so much yeah. fun. Especially Vic Tabak yeah. has got that that kind of gravelly. Yep. Gangster yeah. voice yeah. that just makes him absolutely oh, his perfect. Voice is he, is he can't make a date with. Yeah, you can't make yeah. a date with a broad that I don't know about it. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just, just beautiful. And I love the thing where he calls like he says, "Oh, your you know your behavior is arrested." And he's, "I've never been arrested in my whole life." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arrested. Never been arrested in my yeah. life. Oh what man! Point when Spock is trying to, <laughs> when Spock is uh, correcting uh, Oxmix's mm-hmm. grammar, sir, you are employing a double negative. Yeah. Yes, I love that. Nobody helps nobody but himself, and it's like, uh, yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. It's so great. It's the, just the, a real hoot. The, this is also one of those things where um, they have a, similar to Mirror Mirror. They have an extremely iconic episode which is executed to perfection. But if you think about it for a second, it makes absolutely no sense. Oh yeah, it starts right? to fall no, apart. No. Oh, absolutely, yeah, it falls apart. Yeah. Yep. It, I mean, I guess, but the 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 seed of the idea, I think, stands up. This this just if you go back yeah. to the, just the idea of contaminated society. Oh sure, sure, yeah. and, and that they're a highly imitative level. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they're a, high, a, yeah, they're, yeah, they're like they um they're imitative. This particular mm-hmm. culture, they mention that specifically. So, yep. is that something I I always wanted to see like in TNG, and I'm sure they talked about this in the writers' room, like. What would this culture be like if they're so adaptive a hundred years later? Oh, they yeah. Oh, they pitched that. Oh, they did. Oh, they pitched it's, it's it. Oh, they did. Pitched. Oh, yeah. And then uh, when they, it... I think Ron Moore pitched it, they were gonna have a plan. Everybody, you know, they would have everybody in the planet was gonna talk like Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then when they didn't do that, it's it's been done in, in since they didn't do it officially. It's been done in the comics, explored a couple times, and oh, wow. I forget where else. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. So, yeah. But they did pitch going back to 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 that planet. That would have been fun to see a TNG take on what Kirk, Spock, and McCoy were like. Yeah, but it, it, it that would have been even almost too broad, even for. I, I don't think they could have done it. Yeah. Oh, so apparently yeah, and... it was. I just I just looked it up. Apparently it was in instead of uh, trials and tribulations, they were thinking about doing that for the. Oh, so it would have been DS Nine. It would have been their thirtieth yeah. episode. They, they could have done it. Yeah, they could have absolutely. Um, they could have. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It would not have worked with TNG very no. well. No, no, it couldn't have. They should stick to Robin Hood. Okay, they also they <laughs> reference this 
on an episode of Futurama where it's like a Valentine's Day episode and like this love radiation goes out and and the the closing text of the episode says the ra- they va- vaporized into a mystical love radiation that spread across the universe destroying many many planets including two gangster planets and a cowboy world. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's all. Yes, I love that. It makes me think of yeah, piece of the action when they say that every time. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. Um, and also because this takes place in an Earth-like environment, like much of the second season of TOS, mm-hmm. they get to make very liberal use of a lot of the stock stuff that they had around yep, the lot. The oh, sure. So... So you got a high level of production in this episode. They shot on the back lot mm-hmm. and they had all these sets from all these, you know, gangster pictures that they had made in the past. Yeah. And like it just that's it. Like it really gives it a nice feel, nice lived in feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's the nice part is with this is they actually have these costumes like in stock somewhere because they were, yep. you know, they didn't need to make them up because it wasn't futuristic. It was in the past. So. Right plentiful plentiful props plentiful you know the whole thing yeah and that's one of the reasons why the second season of the original series tends to look the best of the three seasons visually is because they kind of went to these earth-like planets quite a bit during season Mm. two and they were able to use a lot of you know stuff that was lying around desilu and paramount and they were able to use all that material and it raised the quality of the production a great deal Yes, I have to say when I was watching uh, rewatching this episode I I like to think about um, what it would have been like either watching or creating that episode like in in the 1960s in 1968 um, Mm -hmm. since I didn't live through that and I it it got me thinking about okay so they're portraying um, uh, a civilization on earth in the 20s and so that's 40 years before this episode would have aired on television in 1968. And I think it's, it's crazy to me to think about that compared to today then in 2018, which is actually farther away. We're, we're, we're 50 years ahead of 1968 when this episode was made, mm-hmm. which is only about yep. 40 or 40 something years ahead of what time period they were portraying. So if we were to make this oh, episode today, we would be portraying um, people in the 1970s. Yes. So what you're saying yes. is on Discovery, they need to go to a, like a black exploitation planet. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> or, or, or like, like a disco a, planet. Like a, a, a Bruce disco Lee planet. planet. Oh, Saturday yeah. Night Fever planet. Okay. All right. There we go. Yeah. Perfect. Disco. Discovery that is a really works. interesting thought, though, that we're now it farther is. away wow. from TOS than, yeah, like then, than they were then, from this uh, idea. Yeah. The 1968 was from yeah. the 1920s. Yeah. So that puts it in a little perspective, too, because, like, the time period they were portraying was closer than, you know, like, so people, because I was, I was imagining being an adult watching this show, thinking, thinking, how old would you have had to have been to actually remember the 20s? Oh, sure. You know? Because there were people who watched it who were alive in the 20s. Right, who lived oh, through that. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. At the time. And that's totally, yeah. I mean, this was 100 years ago now. The 1920s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, true. Years ago. Just, wow. Just about. Wow. Yeah. And people watching this episode that aired it lived through that. Uh, I thought that was wild. Yeah, that's cool. Good perspective. Perspective. And uh, indeed, let's not forget the contribution of to the card game world, so to speak. Oh, Fizzbin. Fizzbin, which is like you. just hilarious. It is a Tuesday today, so <laughs> it is a Tuesday. Yeah, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Spock. 
What are the odds of getting a Royal Fizzbin? I, I have never I've never competed with Well, they're, <laughs> they're <laughs> astronomical. Astronomical. I love that. <laughs> I love that. He's not lying. He just says I, he's never competed right. with them. You know? Yeah, he yeah, goes yeah. right along with the bluff, you know? Uh-huh. Smart. It's great. Quick thinking on his feet there, Mr. Spock. Yes. Oh, look at that. <laughs> you got another chat. You got another chat. How lucky you are. He's Again, playing, some just Bill Shatner. Guy's ego. Just, yeah. Yeah. Bill Shatner just being Bill Shatner in the best way possible. He was so good. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah Shatner is yeah. Shatner is outstanding in this episode. Yeah. You know, one of the biggest myths of the Star Trek franchise is that William Shatner is not a good actor. Amen. Yes, I completely Amen. agree. Amen. I completely agree. He can play a lot of different things, and he's extremely good at comedy. Yeah, I think he's a fantastic. He is. He, he actually is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and he's. I'm sorry. He's devastatingly handsome. I mean, those are leading man looks like you wouldn't believe. Oh yeah, like Bill Shatner is a very good looking like guy. When I I no saw question. his uh, his one man show with my brother in Philadelphia a few years ago, and throughout the whole thing, they're like showing pictures of him throughout his career behind him. And at one point, like three quarters of the way through, they show a picture of him when he was like Alexander the Great or something, and he's just oh, in yeah. a toga mm-hmm. holding yep. a sword out. And when that goes up, everyone in the audience starts clapping. And and Bill just says, "I'm not even going to look behind. I, I don't even want to see." <laughs> <laughs> he made that pilot right before he did the original series. Did, actually, oh, wow. did, yeah. did you, a year or two. Didn't he do that with um, uh, uh, Adam, Adam West? West. Oh, yeah, oh, wow. Adam West. That's right. I, I need to see watch this that. Picture. I gotta look it up. Yeah, it, it, it's just basically Shatner running around in a toga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, come on, Kirk and Batman together. Come on. Yeah, I always, I, I always hoped they'd do like a remake of uh, Grumpy Old Men with Adam West and William <laughs> Shatner. Oh, that would have been that awesome! Would have been Wouldn't great, that actually. have been? Yeah. I have to say, I also like some of the to them what they consider old timey gadgets running around here. Like when Spock attempts to communicate with Uhura, and he's like, "Oh, this is such, this is such simple, you know, AM radio, whatever." I got it, and then of course fails and gets an advert, you know, instead. Like he gets. A, he gets into commercial, tunes into a commercial break. And, yep. and of course, McCoy has to give him, you know, rib him for that. Oh, it's such a simple, you know, such a simple machine, huh? Whatever. Like, it's, it's just fun, you know. And, Everything about it is just a lot of fun. Yeah. I know that the all the broad comedy that was creeping up during the second season rubbed Gene Roddenberry the wrong way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And it ultimately, I think, led to a lot of friction between the two genes. And it wasn't the totally motivating factor for Gene Kuhn leaving, but it was definitely part of it. Yeah. I mean, I, he was burned out. That's the reason he really left. But he was tired, I think, of well, dealing I mean, with... Well, I mean, that's with, it. You can be... Part of that burnout would be butting heads with, you know, with, the other Gene. The yeah. show's creator. Yeah. 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 So... I think this was the last... I mean, I don't have the production order in front of me, but I think this was the last of the truly comedic episodes. I think they had already done The Trouble of Triples and I Mud before this. Yes, they had. This is like later on. This is like closer to this, the end of, of uh, mid to late second season. Yes, yes. The others were all done uh, maybe five... Yeah, like Trouble Triples was the 13th and this was the 20th. So yeah, right. yeah, okay. yeah. So it's the so last. This was probably not long before Kuhn left before John Merrith Lucas took over. Seem- yeah, it seems, yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. 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 So... But anyway, an absolute classic and one not likely to be repeated in the annals of the Star Trek franchise. <laughs> no, mm. probably not. And I always like, okay, so as a kid watching this, I always liked the kid, the little smart, street smart kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Daddy, yeah. daddy. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sonny, oh, Sonny, you know, waggling his finger at him. Hey, uh, what have you done? No, yeah, it's great. It's just piece of the action. Yeah. Yep. Hence the title. Also, they never gave him any money, so. Nope. As far as we know, no. They screwed him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they screwed him. The kid should be really, should be, when they, when they run back out on the street, the kid should be like pissed, you know. Hey, what the heck, you yeah. know. Also, okay, before we close this out, we have to come back to what we talked about earlier, which is how they didn't even fix the contamination that they set out to fix. No. And probably I, I find made it, it worse. Probably made it worse. So for, for two, yeah, for two reasons. One, I find it interesting that um, they're just sure that the way that the way forward is like a united government. Why are they sure of that? Um, if this is like 20s Earth, think how long it took Earth to get to a united planet government. Why is that like the next step? And they're sure that's the next step that they should be shepherding in, right? The, the, the other thing is Spock seems okay with the idea that the way to unite the government is through uh, violence. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, he, he sort of even objects a little bit to like, why would you leave this, you know, violent gangster in charge? You know, he, he makes a mention of that. Kirk dismisses it, of course, but he makes sort of a little mention of it. And it's like, yeah, this isn't really, I mean, I get that it was like sort of a clever thing to like get them out of there and sort of, sort of sweep it up kind of, but not really, you know, it doesn't really. uh, I think they were dropped into a bad situation and were just improvising their way out of it. They were. And and for that, it's it's great. I think by Kirk introduced, trying to introduce this intimidating factor with the Federation, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's look, the I only thing they're going to respect. He's hoping that will scare them into. Right. Yeah. Because that's what they'll respect, is they basically. need to respect strength. And so there you go. Right. Remember, though, that they also agree to take 40% of some kind yes, of money. Yes, they do. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like of yeah, protection then... money, I guess. Like, and then put it well, in. Yeah. They're like, oh, we'll just like put it into this like planetary treasury. It's like, no, don't take their exactly. money. What are you doing? Well, but that's it. It goes back to them, is what he's saying. Well, maybe. Yeah, it goes back to them. It doesn't matter. It's all funny money. It doesn't. Yeah. I mean, again, yeah, the Federation doesn't give a crap about their money. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. (laughs) But also, of course, they they end on this lighthearted note when Bones Mm -hmm. says, "Like, oh no, shoot, I've left my communicator communicator behind." And and then Kirk says, "Oh, that's just the that's the base it has in it. The basis they're gonna for all of our technology, and they're they're super. um, You know, they mimic everything. They're gonna take it apart." Yeah, and they're gonna figure all this out, and they're just like, "Oh, ha ha yep. ha ha ha!" And then the episode ends, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, "Wait, this is no. actually yeah. really bad, yep. you guys." So, yeah. yeah, so so in non-canonical things, <laughs> they and uh, various non-canonical things like some of the comics and some of the other stuff. Like, um, I don't know if you guys had this book, but it was by Shane Johnson called "The Worlds of the Federation" with really great illustrations of various aliens. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, 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 I had that. I had that. And and in that, Johnson basically posits that. Uh, eventually people come back and they've basically made a mini star base there. Like they've patterned themselves completely mm. uh, uh, as like a little Starfleet setup, you know, like a mimic of like a Starfleet setup, which is kind of the, uh, you know, the logical conclusion that they're hinting at is like, well, they're going to go take this communicator apart. They're going to start to pattern themselves after what they heard of the Federation. Now, you know, they're going to, I don't know if I, you know, you can totally buy that, but it's kind of an, another cute idea of it yeah but again nothing canonically has ever come of it so we don't know we don't actually know what happened 
It's just funny how they're all concerned about this contamination at the beginning, and by the end they're just like, "Oh, <laughs> you idiot!" You yeah, and it's and it's like you're, you're... maybe maybe tell Scotty to go scan for the only piece of tech that's twenty third century tech and like and beam then it away. beam it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Especially considering well, it, that you can pinpoint someone's coordinates on the other end of a phone call and beam them. Correct. Right. Like if they can do that, they can go find his communicator and take it out of their hands. <laughs> the other thing is like the whole plot of uh, a private little war, which is in my opinion the best prime directive episode the whole franchise yes, has it's ever a, done. It's a great one. Yeah. The yeah. whole idea it's is if one side of an undivided world has a technological advantage, that is the worst kind of cultural pollution you can introduce to it. Right. 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 Because there's Absolutely. only one thing that's going to happen because of that. Right. Yep. Yeah. So it's very problematic the way they end. They end it. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't, but it doesn't matter. matter. No, because no, it doesn't matter. Because it's fun. Well, whatever. Well, just so long as the, you know, whatever the profits come from turning that communicator into new technology, that hopefully the little kid gets some of it. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. I still feel bad for that kid. <laughs> they poor kid. Off. Yeah. <laughs> that kid doesn't have a name either. I don't. He. I don't even know what to call him. He's just a kid. Just a kid. Yeah. Uh, an interesting piece of continuity that I had forgotten about, but Memory Alpha reminded me, is in um, Enterprise. So uh, the Horizon, of course, is like the, is the ship that came before that they talk about saying was it was a hundred years earlier, and it was so much earlier that they didn't have subspace communication, um, and so uh, just more coincidentally, because this is not the same Horizon, because it's even older. But Travis Mayweather, you know Travis, sure, he his family's. Yep, the Boomer. His family's ship that he was on is also named the Horizon, which is kind of a fun little thing. Oh, and then, and then another that. really fun thing that though that they did that was really fun and kind of smart is when Travis goes back to his family's you know cargo vessel in his old quarters is a copy of the Chicago Gangs of the Twenties. No they way. actually repl- oh no way oh, cool. they made a replica of the book from. A piece of the action, and it's on the show. The book. Nice. They made the, the book, right? The book. Yeah, a replica of it <laughs> is is hanging out in his quarters, his old quarters on the horizon. And it's just like, that is so great. Like, what a nice yeah. little wink, you know, to this whole thing. Yep. It's just there. So, of course, that's the wrong horizon. It's because this is pre, you know, pre-Federation, and the horizon they're talking about is early Federation. But still right. fun, and just a lot of fun. But Very cool. Huh, well yeah. done. That's really I, I cool. Appreciate That's your... a nice little Easter egg. I like yeah. that a lot. Yeah. I appreciate your knowledge of Enterprise, Matt, because I definitely don't have it. Well, like I said, I I had remembered this once, but I'd forgotten, and thankfully Memory Alpha reminded me, because otherwise I wouldn't have remembered that. But yeah, it's really cool that they just again, you know, people kind of blast Enterprise sometimes, but proof that the guys behind the scenes, like people in the art department, people in the production department, they they cared and they were really oh, into sure this they stuff. Did. You know, they're really into it. Because, mm-hmm. look, here's a replica of this book from a piece of the action popping up, you know, in the background. Because somebody cared, you know? Yep. That's that's awesome. Yeah. It's really cool. Okay, here's the other thing. The closing thoughts on this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the name of the character, according to IMDb, is Tough Kid. <laughs> tough Kid. <laughs> yeah. There you go. He is a tough kid. Gypped He's kid. Tough kid. Yeah. That's a tough nail. Okay, well, uh, this episode went a little bit longer than, you know, we expected it to. Hopefully you enjoyed it. There was a lot to cover. Uh, some terrific episodes. 
some of these I need to rewatch. Hopefully, um, those of you who have made it this far in the podcast can listen to those as well. There is one little news item that we just felt compelled to mention briefly uh, mm-hmm. in, in real life space travel, where we're recording this on November 27th, 2018. And yesterday, NASA's InSight landed safely on Mars with scientists hopeful that they'd be able to get a below-the-surface look at the red planet. So congratulations yep. to NASA. Congratulations to everyone at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory who helped. And hopefully there's some great news about Mars that we, humans are going to learn for the first time. Yeah, this should be huge because we've never actually penetrated the surface of Mars before. It's always been on the yeah. surface but not under. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a whole another level of analysis there, it's which also, is awesome. It's also our first seismometer uh, on the planet. Yeah, right. Right. And here's a fun a nerdy fact, a geology fact. Um, normally, if when we're using seismometers to locate things and make, make pictures of things below the surface, you need at least three seismometers to triangulate mm-hmm. the position of where any earthquake is coming from. And on Mars, they can only mm-hmm. land one thing, so they can only have one seismometer. And so they had to come up with the math to see if they could figure out how to, quote unquote, triangulate the location uh, of a Mars quake with just one seismometer. And it turns out that the math was actually relatively simple. It's just that no one had ever needed to come up with it before. Oh, Interesting. cool. Interesting. Cool. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Cool. So ways in which we're forced to be creative using the tools that we have when we're on another planet. Yeah. Yeah. Y- yeah. Young minds, fresh ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any, any closing thoughts from anybody? Just to say that looking forward to uh, our next episode of the Shuttle Pod next week, uh, our next new uh, piece of Star Trek comes out on television. That's the next short Trek featuring fan favorite Saru. Yeah. Saru. Kayla, if, if there were a Star Trek news slash fan website that would have a great article about this that you could recommend to listeners, what would that website be? <laughs> Ooh, that's a tough call. So many good ones. Um, I'd have to go with probably trekmovie.com, your source for everything oh, new in Trek. That? You know, I've heard so many good things about that website. It's a, Yeah, it's a good one. A... I'm going to follow them on every social media platform that I can. <laughs> you can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And YouTube, and YouTube. We've and got a YouTube, YouTube channel. <clears throat> well, while we're being while we're being shills, I would just like to say, also, folks who are listening, if you if you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate us on iTunes, give us some feedback. We really appreciate it. Yeah, or chime yes, in on do. the comments um, on the article that gets posted to the site. Hit us up also yep. on on Twitter and the other social platforms. We always love to hear from people. We do. It's true. Absolutely. Alrighty. Well. Uh... Thanks, everybody, and we'll yeah. t- we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. <laughs>